Jesus. But today I want to talk sort of the last uh, standalone message before we get back in the series. And, and I want to talk to you about something that I think is going to be helpful to a lot of you because from time to time, good people, people I know, people I talk to, people you've known, people you've had conversations with, from time to time, people just feel like, uh, you know, the burdens are getting too heavy. Life is too stressful. I've got too many problems going on in my life. I've got all these circumstances. It shouldn't be this way or I wish it wasn't that way and it's bad at work or it's bad here and I'm struggling with my finances or I've got problems at home or I've got this challenge. And, and so there's a lot of times when that kind of stuff just gets heavy, you know, heavy or some spectrum that not even, uh, I, I didn't even mention it, but you're just maybe even feel a sense of that heaviness right now because life at times gets tough. It, it really, really gets tough. It's funny, I was thinking about it while working on this talk. Um, I never, I grew up playing sports. I love sports. I love it to this day. And uh, so I grew up playing a lot of sports. So naturally, uh, doing that all my life from the time I was like uh, five, playing organized sports all the way up and uh, all the way up and through high school, uh, I just wanted my boys to play sports. And so, uh, but we had this idea. I'm like, I'm never uh, going to force you, never will, to be involved in a sport that you don't want to be involved in. I'm never going to push you to sign up for a sport, even if you like that sport. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to force you to do any of those things. But here's our deal. If you sign up, it's something you want to do. It's something you want to do, and you sign up. Once you sign up, just know. And it was a valuable lesson, bigger than sports, that I wanted them to realize is once you sign up and you start, you're not going to quit. So let's just understand that going into it. Are we clear? Yes, Dad, we're clear. You sign up. Dad's not forcing you to sign up, right? Right. I want to play. Well, if you sign up and you get going, no matter how tough it gets, and, you know, it was bigger than sports because I wanted them to learn how to develop sort of an enduring spirit. And I want to talk to you uh, about it because life is not always fun. How many of you have always come to, already come to realize it? How many of you know that life gets really challenging at times, really heavy at times? And it's not like, wouldn't it be wonderful if once you became a Christian that all your problems were gone? Wouldn't that be great? How many of you know the whole world would sign up if that's what Christianity was? Come to Jesus, all your problems are going to be gone. That is not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is as long as you're in this world, uh, you're going to have problems and challenges, but here's the difference. You've got a savior, you've got a leader, and you're never going to have to do life by yourself again. You'll always be doing life in cooperation with Jesus, and that's the big difference. So I want to talk to you out of a passage today in Hebrews for the next few moments. I want to talk to you about how do you run an invincible race, because there's times when you're going to want to give up. There's times you're going to want to stop. There's times when it gets painful, and you're going to want to say, just done. I had a conversation with somebody recently and they were just like uh, sort of exasperated by events in their life and I could tell by talking to them it's like and so we just had a conversation of how do you keep pressing on even when it's not easy to press on so I want to talk to you uh, out of this passage in, in Hebrews and this writer of Hebrews we don't know exactly who wrote it like there's other New Testament books we know that Paul wrote first and second Corinthians and and the prison he Epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He wrote to Timothy. He wrote the letters to those living in Thessalonica. But we really don't know for certain who wrote Hebrews, but whoever wrote it, whether Paul had something to do with it or not, he may or he may not. We just don't know. So we can't say that we know if we don't. 
But whoever wrote this had great insight from the Holy Spirit to give us some things that are going to be helpful to us. And so when this writer writes followers of Jesus in this particular time, it was not like they were having a bad day. It was like they were going through a very grueling season in their life and they needed God's help. And the Holy Spirit uh, uses this writer of Hebrews to strengthen and encourage the people. His inspiration to them, again, as he's moved upon, that's what these writers of Scripture would do. The Bible says they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit, and they would write. And so his words are to inspire them to just keep running the race well and, and not to quit, not to give up, even when it gets tough, don't give up. And he describes how to do that. And I'm going to distill it down. I'm going to make it as simple as I know how. And I want to give you three observations, and you may want to jot them down somewhere. You may want to put them on your phone or tablet. Go back and look at them later, uh, along with the corresponding scriptures. But I'm going to give you three things. How do you run an invincible race? How do you run an invincible race? And we're going to take it right out of this passage in Hebrews, all right? Here's the first thing. Be sure you get it down somewhere. If you're going to run an invincible race, it is a good idea to look at those who are around you. Look at those who are around you and like, all right, I don't even get that. I understand that. That's why we need to talk about it. So let's start. We're in Hebrews 12. Let's start with the very first verse. Look at this verse on the screen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such, look at this phrase here, a great cloud of witnesses. Look at those around you. Look at the great cloud of witnesses around you. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us, it's a very important phrase right here, these three words, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. If you and I are going to run an invincible race, if we're not going to be quitters, now we signed up, we signed up to be a follower of Jesus. Many of you did a long, long time ago. And uh, if you're going to say, you know, no matter how difficult it becomes, I'm not going to be a quitter. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to back off. Then how do you do that? And this writer says you begin by looking at the people that are around you. This phrase, a great cloud, actually is a reference to a massive body of people. And we need to talk about that. What is he implying here? Now, I want to say before we get to that, have you ever discovered the enthusiastic quality of a very friendly crowd? Have you ever noticed this? Even when, you know, we're getting close to college football and pro football. Hey, there's a game in pro football, Hall of Fame game, just this past week. And uh, I was out of town all week, so I didn't get a chance to see much of that. But uh, they talk about a home field advantage, that when you have home field advantage, how good that feels to have a friendly crowd behind you, the enthusiasm of the crowd when you're playing at home. You, you just, you know, that feeling of we're at home and the stands, you know, if you're a player on the field, they're all pulling for me or most all of them are pulling for me. But, but we get this in the reality of life, all kind of things. You know, if you've gone through like a job promotion or a new job or you graduated from high school or college or, or, you, or you got married or, you know, if you're a person that you're into music, you had an instrumental recital at some point in time or or you played sports and your family and friends showed up to uh, watch you play. Just the power of an enthusiastic crowd that is a friendly crowd that is behind you and they're cheering for you and they're supporting you. And that means a big, big difference. That's why uh, sports teams love to play at home because they have the sort of the support of the crowd. They just look in the stands. They're wearing our colors, which by now we know what those colors are. I don't need to even go there. Uh, but, uh, you know, just, you know, the, the arena or the stadium that is filled with people that are cheering you on. 
I've got an uncle uh, who, uh, he, he worked for a company for many years. He just retired a couple of years ago. And on one of the business trips that he was engaged in, he was doing business out in Houston. And he loves baseball. And he went to a, a Houston Astros baseball game. And he said it was a phenomenal night. It was at a time, and uh, the Rocket, as they called him, Roger Clemens, didn't play for Houston for you know a long time. But he happened to be playing for uh, the Astros during this time. And uh, my uncle, so he was there, and that was sort of a big deal to watch Roger Clemens pitch that night. But he said it was just, it was amazing because the people that had gathered that night, that were at the game, that were introduced, he said all in that one stadium, you had the mayor of Houston was there, the owner of the Houston-Texas football, game, uh, football team, uh, he was there. Uh, Barbara Bush, it was a time when she was living, so she was at the game. Most of you know that our former president, her and her husband, loved baseball. How many of you know if Barbara Bush was sitting in the stands, the Secret Service was also uh, there? So they were there, and there was just all kind of celebrities and people that were there. Nolan Ryan, if you followed baseball, uh, a great bit. And he said it was just amazing, the people that were in the crowd. So just who is in this great cloud of witnesses that the Hebrew writer mentions in verse number one of Hebrews 12? Now, in order to know and appreciate this, you actually have to go back, and I hope you'll do that, maybe make a note somewhere where you're jotting some notes, to go back this week and read, maybe you'll do it this afternoon, go back and read all of Hebrews chapter 11. Because Hebrews chapter 11 makes it clear who this, this great uh, crowd is, this cloud of witnesses, and it talks about that starting in verse 4 and goes all the way through verse 40. And certainly we're not going to read those verses, but I want to give you the names of some of the people that are mentioned in this previous chapter that when this writer is writing to encourage the people, because again, they're not having a bad day. They're having a very, very difficult season in their life. And he's saying, this is what I want you to do. You know, when you want to quit, when you want to give up, when it gets burdensome, when you feel like you just can't take it anymore, when you feel that you're so weary, look around you. If you're going to run an invincible race, look around you at the great cloud of witnesses. And he's talking about that in chapter 12, but in chapter 11, he names a lot of the ones that he's talking about. And he mentions names that we're all familiar with. Uh, Noah, he mentions Noah. He's, he mentions Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, David, just to name a few, Samuel. The prophets, he mentions the prophets. He mentions Daniel, who had it exceedingly difficult. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He mentions these and others. Uh, needless to say, this is a very impressive crowd. And when the Hebrew writers talking to them about pushing through their quitting points, not giving up, not being so discouraged, not being so weary that you just want to throw up your hands and surrender, but pressing on, he said, the first thing that you need to do is just consider the people that are cheering you on. In addition to these... Actually, in verse 22 of chapter 12, uh, the writer makes reference to, it's not on the screen, but mentions thousands upon thousands of angels. So it's, it's fascinating to me because he's writing to people that probably had it, by the way, much more difficult than we do because it was just a tough time uh, to live in the world. It was a tough time to exist as a follower of Jesus. And he's just saying, all right, when you get weary, when you're so discouraged that you know that you, or you're not sure whether or not you want to press on, just consider the crowd. Look around at the people around you. The writer of Hebrews is actually painting for them a picture, but it's also a picture for us as well. It is the portrait of a vast arena. 
And again, we know who the crowd is. We've already mentioned that from chapter 11. We know who the follower, who the follower who's running the race, the person who is running the race, it's actually a reference to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's a reference to you. And he's saying that those heroes of the past, those heroes of the faith are not just sitting idly by as spectators. They're actually on their feet. And if you could physically dial into what their voices are saying right now, it would quickly become obvious. This is what he's saying. And again, it was for those who he was writing to initially, but it's also a powerful message for us is, is their voices, their shouts, their cheers are to inspire and to encourage us. And I think if you would think about that, when you're going through a tough time, and maybe that tough time is right now in your life, and you're like, you know what, uh, I, don't, I don't even feel like, you know, keeping on, and, you know, or, or maybe you've just said, uh, I've been following Jesus all these years, and now look at what's going, on, and I've done this, and I've done that, and I've been here, and I've done this, and I've given that, and I've been faithful here, and now I've got this stuff going on in my life, and, and the writer would say, all right, first of all, take a deep breath, but then I want you to look around, and I want you to listen, if you could, just think about the people that are around you cheering you on. It's like this arena in heaven that are looking on and they're shouting. And they're like, hey, I know it's tough. We've been there too. I know you can win this race. I know you can keep on running. And even though you're weary, even though you're confused maybe, even though you're discouraged with everything that is happening around you, you keep moving. You keep running. You're going to make it. Don't give up. Don't stop now. Like I'd say to the boys, I'm not asking you to sign up. And Jesus didn't by the way, force you to sign up, but you signed up and I signed up and we're not going to quit now. Anybody hear that? Isn't it true? And so he's saying when you get discouraged and you're just thinking about, just look, just look around you. I find it interesting that the original word for race that is being used in this passage actually comes from the, from the Greek word agone. And we, what do we get from that in our English translation? What do we get? Agony. It's the race, and at times it's agonizing, and it's not easy to keep pressing on. I read this story some time ago. It actually goes back to the Sydney Olympics, and I think that was back around 2000 or so. But out of those Olympics came the story of Eric the Swimmer, as he was called. Some of you perhaps have read about this. Eric the Swimmer, uh, his last name was Mosambini of uh, Equatorial Ghana, swam... Listen to this now. Listen to some of the numbers in, this, in his story. Swam in the 100-meter freestyle qualifying heat. The 22-year-old African had only learned to swim the previous January. He had only practiced in a 20-meter. Remember the race that he's in in the Olympics. In, the 20, in a 20-meter pool without lane markers and had never raced for more than 50 meters. So his race in the Olympics or his qualifying uh, was going to be twice the length of how, how long he's ever swam before. And he hasn't been swimming all that long. And you're saying, well, how, did, how in the world did he even get into the Olympics? And here's how it happened. By special invitation of the, Olympic, uh, of the International Olympic Committee, under a special program that permits poorer countries to participate in the Olympics, even though their athletes do not meet the customary standards, uh, Eric the Swimmer had been entered into, again, the 100-meter men's freestyle. When the other two swimmers in his heat, this qualifying round, were disqualified because of false starts, Mozambini was forced to swim alone. 
Eric West used the words of an AP story that came out about his race, said, referred to him, and I quote, that he was charmingly inept. How many of you know that's a title you don't want to necessarily sign up for? He was inept, but at least it was charmingly. He never put his head under the water surface, and he flailed widely to stay afloat. With 10 meters left to the wall, he virtually came to a complete stop. Some spectators there thought he might actually drown, even though his time was over one minute slower than what qualified for the next level of competition. The capacity crowd at the Olympic Aquatic Center stood their feet and cheered the swimmer on. After what seemed like an eternity, the African reached the wall and hung on for dear life. When he had finally caught his breath and regained his composure, the French-speaking Mosambini said through an interpreter, and I quote him now, listen to this, I want to send hugs and kisses to the crowd. I want to say hugs and kisses to the crowd because it was their cheering that kept me going. You think about that, and then you consider who's in your corner. Think about all the great heroes of the faith, the men and women of faith uh, that are in like this hall of fame or hall of faith who are up in heaven right now who are cheering you on. This is a crowd that is inspiring us to run a tough race, and they would say, hey, it's worth it. Hang in there. We did it, and we're pulling for you. Hebrews 10, backing up a little bit. Look at this verse on the screen. Hebrews 10, verse 36 says this. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will, what's the first word here? Continue to do God's will. So you continue. You don't give up. You don't stop. Continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. There's going to be a reward at the end when you and I finish well. So if you and I are going to run a race an invincible kind of race. First of all, look around you. Secondly, be sure you get this down somewhere now. Look not just around you, but look beyond you. Not just around what's in the stadium, what's in the arena, but look beyond you. This is what the Hebrew writer is implying. How do we know this? Go to the very next verse in Hebrews 12. Look at verse 2 now. Look at it right here on the screen. Let us read this phrase with me. Fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for, read this phrase with me, the joy set before him, out in front of him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, when you and I pause and think about this, we often endure certain things because of the hope that we see beyond this. All of us have done this. All of us have done this. Um, you know, for example, the hope, if you've been working really, really hard and I had this experience, I didn't really take off any time. And like the first six months of this year, it was just crazy. It was just busy. And it's like working, working, working. And, you know, we're building up for Audrey's wedding. And so we got all of work going on. We've got that going on. So life is busy. Life is chaotic. And so for about the first six months of the year, I didn't take any, any time off. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying it was just so crazy. It was unable to. And, uh, you know, when I started to get a little bit fatigued, like I need a break and I need some downtime. I need to unplug a while. What kept me working hard, what kept me focused and moving ahead is because I could envision the beach that was waiting for me. 
I'm like, wow, and I'd go almost like countdown mode in a month, you know, uh, vacation, you know, everybody, we're all going to be together, and we'll be able to relax, and, you know, the chaos and craziness is going to stop, and we're just, and so just keep working, working, and you've done that. You've just worked, and how many of you know this about vacations? You work harder than you usually do prior to the vacation, right? Isn't that true? And then how many of you know when you come back from vacation, you work just as hard as you did the week because now you're playing catch-up, all right? Unless you work on the assembly lines for Ford or General Motors, nobody's doing your job for you while you're gone. And so you're catching up once you get back. But there's, and what do we do? We press on because we have hope for the future. If you're a student, you press through a grueling semester. You've read all the books. You've done your papers. You've taken the exams. But why do you stay focused? You look ahead and you find hope in the fact that there's going to come a summer break or a spring break or a fall break or a Christmas break. And you press on. A person endures cancer treatment or, or a serious surgery. Why? Because of the hope of one day feeling better or extending the longevity of their life. And so we've all done it. We've all done it in so many domains of our life where we have not only thought about our current reality, but we have looked beyond us. Now, there's a powerful truth in this verse that we cannot afford to miss. So please give me your best thinking right here. During Jesus's incarnational life here on earth, and that's from the manger to the cross, he was fully God. He was fully God. And I'm not even going to chase that theological trail because it's not a part of this talk. But he was fully God. And yet at the same time, what was, in, what was unique about him, he was fully God. Had not laid aside his deity at all. Just as he was God in heaven, Jesus was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He was just as much God as he was in heaven before he came and was born as a baby in, in Bethlehem. However... In his incarnational life, he took upon himself, although he was fully God, he took upon himself the role of being fully human. And for the first time in his life, Jesus got hungry. Jesus ate. We read stories where Jesus would eat. Why would Jesus eat? Because he, ha he was hungry. He had never known that feeling. How many of you know you're, when you're God, you can eat whenever you want? How many of you know when you're God, uh, you, can, you can eat wherever you want? How many of you know that? All right, when you're God, you can eat whenever, whatever. Cost is not an option, place, location. But here's the uniqueness. When you're God, you never get hungry. So if you eat, you only eat for the fun of it, which is what I do anyhow. I eat for the fun of it. How many of you do that too? I plan on doing that after church tonight. I'm going to eat some ice cream to the glory of God right after the service tonight. <laughs> Been looking forward to it. But for the first time ever, Jesus knew what it was to be hungry he knew what it was like to feel pain. He knew what it was like to need sleep. Jesus had never grown tired prior to this time, but now he needs to eat. He needs to sleep, and he felt pain, and he had to walk everywhere. For the first time ever, Jesus had to walk wherever he went. So it is not as though the prospect of his death on the cross is not a big deal. It's a very big deal. In fact, look at what Jesus says to God his Father. This is out of the Gospels. This is out of Mark's Gospel, by the way, when Jesus said, Father... My father, father, my father, all things are possible for you. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Take this cup of suffering away from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. And if you're a church person and you grew up and you're familiar with the Bible or you read the Bible or you know stories from the Bible, then you know that Jesus 
had to drink with the cup. God did not take the cup away because he knew that it would take a perfect sacrifice. God knew that it would take the shed blood of his own son to eradicate our sin debt and to purchase our salvation. So Jesus said there is a cup of suffering. He's speaking out of his humanity. He's not speaking out of his deity. Wave your hand at me like this if you know what I'm talking about. He is not speaking out of his deity. He is speaking out of his humanity. And he knew what awaited him. And he said... Take this cup of suffering, but God said, I'm not going to do it. And so you consider that. Consider the fact that what Jesus did is he endured. The scripture says he endured the cross. Why? He endured the cross. That's what it says in verse 2. How is he able to endure the cross? It's so important. Don't miss it. He looked past the cross, and he looked past the cross to the joy that was awaiting him. And so I want you to think about that in the context of where you and I are living right now. You and I are encircled by this huge mass of great heroes of the past and thousands of angels and cheering us on. You can make it. We've been there. It's been tough for us too. In fact, it was probably tougher for us than it was. And we hung in there and we stayed true to God and we were faithful and we did what we were supposed to do. And now we're here and we've got this seat and we're in the crowd and we see you and we know what's going on in your life and you can make it too. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we could put on some headphones and hear all those conversations? I stayed in a hotel this week, and it's a great hotel, and there for about four or five nights. And so it, it just so happened, it just so happened, the hotel that I was in at the conference all week long. By the way, I was at general council, and our students who participated in fine arts, your kids and your grandkids, did a phenomenal job in their competitions on a national scale. We'll give you greater reports, but we can go ahead and give them a hand. They did a great job. So, uh, man, I, uh, I just happened to be in the room where right next door was a crying baby. And it's a nice hotel, and I don't know if it's because it had one of those adjacent doors. How many of you have ever stayed in a hotel that's got the little adjacent door? How many of you are like me? When you notice it's got the adjacent door, how many of you walk over to it and just make sure it's locked? How many of you, you know what I'm talking about? Because you're not looking for any visitors at 3 o'clock in the morning. So I made sure it was locked, but I don't know if it was because of that, but I could hear this baby crying, crying. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. And I actually went down, and this is not my nature, and I was very kind about it, but I'm like, hey, I don't know if you can tell me, but in room such and such, uh, in, in that room, if you could uh, just tell me when this family's checking out, because if not, I'm probably going to need, because I need to sleep, because it's long hours, and, and they're like, well, we'll be having to move you now. And I'm like, all right, but, you know, I may take you up on that, but if you could tell me, if you could tell me when they're checking out, it may be worth it rather than packing things up, moving to a different floor. And they said, by the way, so they're checking out to uh, tomorrow morning. And I got saved all over again. <laughs> it's some of the best news I've heard in a long, long time. And then I, I'm like, I, I'm like, oh man. And so you know what I did that night? While that baby, ah, and I ha, I'm a grandparent, you know that. I'm a pawpaw, so I, I get all of that. I get all of that. And I understand cr crying babies. And when my grandbabies are crying, I want to hold them and love on them. But listen, these were not my grandbabies, and I needed sleep. <laughs> all right. 
And I was just like, I need. So I actually reached into my briefcase. I took out my iPad. I have some music on there when I fly. And so I just, I literally, I never do this, but I put my headphones on and, and I just plugged it in. I hit my music playlist and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I can't hear the baby. I can hear the music. And I, man, that was so wonderful. And, and then it was so great. I knew they were checking out. I was like, just wanting to walk by and make sure they were checking out. You know, they're really clearing. And wouldn't you know it, the next night, another family moved in and I heard all of it. The, they must have been going to a, uh, to a theme park the next day because they're all excited at 2.30 in the morning. 2.30 in the morning. So I pulled my headphones back out, and I'm like, I'm not changing rooms in the middle of the night. And wouldn't it be my point in that? Some of you are wondering, do I have a point in that? And I actually do. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if you could put those headphones on and just hear these voices saying, you can make it. You can make it. Keep pressing on. We've been there. We're cheering for you. Uh, you know, I'm here. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Joseph. I'm Daniel. I'm Shadrach. I'm Meshach. I'm one of the prophets. I'm in the stands. I'm checking you out. I know what's going on in your life. And wouldn't it be nice if we could just plug our headphones into that? But just because we can't doesn't mean it's not existing. And then the Hebrew writer goes beyond that, says, not only considering those who are around us, but looking who's beyond us, like Jesus is at the finish line. Come on. Come on. You can make it. Jesus looked beyond the cross. You and I looked beyond the finish line. On just the other side of the finish line, Jesus. It's the implication that Jesus is standing there. Didn't we do that as parents or grandparents when our grandkids started to walk and they were wobbling? Isn't, isn't that? And you're like, come on, you can make it. These little steps. Come on, come on, you can make it. We're just sort of, it's like Jesus is saying, come on, come on. Keep your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. That's the idea here. This matter of fixing our eyes on Jesus is actually the indication of a relationship share this story with you. In his book, it was called A Turtle on the Fence Post. Alan Emery is his name. He tells of a night he spent on the Texas plains with a shepherd who was keeping 2,000 sheep. The shepherd prepared a bonfire for cooking dinner that night and for providing warmth. So Alan Emery is telling the story. The sheepdogs lay down again, 2,000 sheep. The sheepdogs lay down near the fire as the stars begin to fill the sky. Suddenly, Emery heard the unmistakable well of a coyote with an answering call from the other side of the range. The dogs weren't patrolling at the moment, and the coyotes seemed to know it. Rising quickly, the shepherd tossed some more logs on the fire, and in this light, Emery said, I looked out at the sheep, and I saw thousands of little lights. He then writes, and I quote, I realized that these were reflections of the fire in the eyes of the sheep. In the midst of danger, the sheep were not looking out into the darkness, but they were keeping their eyes set toward the shepherd. Consider the crowd that is around you. Consider what is beyond you. Lastly, thirdly, and I'm done. Look around you, look beyond you. Thirdly, be sure you get this, look within you. Look within yourself. See, I want to suggest to you today that the problem, hear me out, not trying to start any trouble, but hear me out. Problem, I don't think, is God. I think the problem, about 99.99% is us. Look within you. Look, at, look within you. Look within you. God's doing his part. 
Everybody's in the crowd, scream, you know, yelling, wish we had the earphones, we could dial into that, we can't, but that, that doesn't mean it's not. Jesus is saying, come on, come on, come on, come on, you're going to make it, you're going to make it, I know it's tough, I'm here, you're not by yourself, I promise I'll never leave you, I promise I'll never forsake you, I'm going to be with you every single step of this invincible race, I'm right here, but we cannot talk about this without talking about what's going on in here. Look at Hebrews again, check out this verse. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you take just a few moments even now and look within yourself and ask yourself this question. Am I a resilient person? And be honest about that. Are you a resilient person? This word consider at the beginning of verse 3 that we just read, consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition. Consider him, Jesus. This word consider actually uh, comes from a mathematical term, which means to carefully weigh or to make a thoughtful assessment. And ask yourself, am I a resilient person? In a book that I read several years ago, it, it talked about resiliency. And, and there's three things here. I asked the team to put them up on the screen. This is what the book said. Resilient people, it tells us three things. Resilient people continually seek to reassert some command over their destiny rather than seeing themselves as passive victims. I could talk about that for the next 15 minutes, but I want. Secondly, resilient people have a larger-than-usual capacity for what might be called moral courage, for refusing to betray their values. Thirdly, resilient people find purpose and meaning in their suffering. So look around you. I think we're okay there. How many of you believe that we are? Look beyond you to Jesus. Fit your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the shepherd, the author, and the finisher of our faith. But look within you and do a thoughtful assessment of your own life and ask, do I have increasing weariness and discouragement in my life? If so, what's my next move? Am I losing heart or am I tempted to quit in some area of my life? If I'm not a resilient person, am I serious about wanting to become one? I want you to look at three verses and then we're going to pray and the worship team's going to come back in just a moment. But I want you to look at these three verses. Look at the next part. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have done my best in the race. This is now Paul. It's not the Hebrew writer. This is Paul writing to Timothy. I've done my best. I've done the very best that I could do in the race. I have run the full distance. I didn't quit. I didn't stop. I wasn't a quitter. And in the process of doing so, I have kept the faith. No matter how easy it may have been to just throw my hands up, I've kept the faith. And now there is waiting for me the victory prize of being put right with God, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who wait in love for him to appear. This verse is not on the screen, but I want to read to you James chapter 1 and verse 12. God will bless you. God will bless you. God will bless you if you don't give up when your faith is being tested. God will bless you, and the band's gonna come. God will bless you if you don't give up when your faith is being tested. He will reward you with a glorious life. Listen to what it says, that he, God will bless you if you don't give up, if you don't stop, if you don't quit. God will bless you with a glorious life if you don't stop, if you don't give up, if you're not a quitter, here's what God's going to do. He's going to bless your life. 
just as he, re and he's going to reward you just as he rewards everyone who loves him. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes right now? Listen, at some point in time, everybody reaches a point where they just get so tired, so weary, so confused, so discouraged. They're like, God, I just can't go on. I just can't keep pressing on. Every day, I'm just getting so weary. I'm just so tired of the battle. I'm so tired of the battle at work. I'm so tired of the battle with my finances. I'm so tired of the battle with my health. I'm so tired of what's going on at home. I'm so tired of what's going on with my career. I'm so tired of what's going on in my mind and my emotions. God, 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 please. And, and God would just say, all right, just look around you. Look around you. Look around you. I'm here. I'm going to help you. Look beyond the finish line. When you feel like giving up and your head is drooped and you don't know if you just want to keep staying in the game, you don't want to keep, just lift your head and look beyond the finish line. You're going to see Jesus and he's there. And determine that you're going to be a resilient person. You're going to run an invincible race. Put yourself in a position to receive a miracle. How many of you still believe that God is a miracle-working God? How many of you believe that God is still able to bring to pass a miracle in your life and in your circumstances, no matter how difficult that it may be? If you're walking through a challenging time right now, right now, I'm just going to ask you, while heads are bowed or eyes are closed, I'm just going to ask you, I want to include you in this prayer that God would give you determination, that God would give you focus and faith and a resilient spirit. If you just say, wow, this has been for me today. I'm so tired. I'm so weary. I'm discouraged. But I know with God's help, I can do. But pray for me. If that's you, put your hand straight up in the air. Put it right up in the air as high as you can get it. Raise it straight up in the air. A lot of hands, a lot of hands. And you can put it right back down. Will you stand, for, stand with me right now? And I want to pray for you. And we're going to sing. And we're going to believe God for a miracle. Father, right now, we're making a determination that we're going to give our very best for you. We know you're going to do your part. We know that there's a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. We know that Jesus is here. We know that you are telling us, God, we don't have to be a quitter, and we're not. And we're not pretending that it's easy. We're realists. God, we're not pretending that it's not discouraging, but we trust you, and we ask you to bring to pass a miracle in our lives. God, we're going to look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's sing this together, and I'm going to come back and close this out. Cross
So God, we determine today that no matter what we're faced with, no matter what giant is staring us down, we're going to look around us. God, we're going to plug our headphones in and we are going to hear the voices of those who are telling us we can do it. We're going to look to your son, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we're going to be bound and determined that we are not quitters, but we are more than conquerors through Jesus who gives us strength. And I pray this will be a reality for every person here today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I love you. Have a great week. See you right back here next Sunday.